Good morning. How's everybody doing? Who's excited to be here this morning? Raise your hand. All right. Who's excited about the topic this morning? Raise your hand. Woo! Right? So, yeah, so today we're continuing the By Design series, and the topic is sex and intimacy. And so uh, something that's very, um, very relevant to each of our lives and the culture, especially in the culture that we live in. And so um, I'm excited about talking about it and, and praying that God really works in our hearts in a, in, a, in a strong way because I feel like it's time for the church to take, take, it, take sex back and from the standpoint of culture has come in to change the church rather than the church going into the culture and changing the culture. And so we need to know the truth. We need to know what God says about sex and about intimacy and, and so we can live that way because I truly believe in my heart that God's way is the best way. If we'll listen to God and do what he says, then that's the best way we can possibly live. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And this is what it says. We'll read the scripture, then we'll pray. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in, in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Well, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that's in your word. God, thank you for its ability to transform us, to renew our minds. God, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that, God, he comes and he renews us and recreates us. God, I thank you for that. And I pray you would do that in our lives and our hearts today. Rewire our minds to the truth of your word and create us new so that we can live a life that's glorifying to you. God, I just pray that your word would find good soil in our hearts and produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you heard we were talking about sex and intimacy, and, and it sounded a little awkward, a little awkward for you this morning? Anybody in here that's a little awkward? Okay, not too many in here this morning. Nine o'clock was like, everybody raised their hand. I just want to kind of tell you what awkward is. Awkward is when you have to talk about sex in front of your mother, okay? Awkward, no, that's just the beginning. Awkward is when you have to talk about sex in front of your mother and your in-laws, right? And even more awkward is when you talk about sex in front of your mother, your in-laws, and your oldest son, right? So if you thought you were in an awkward position, think about where I'm at right now, okay? And so now we're going to jump in, and, and I really want you to see out of that first scripture, the main thing I want you to see comes out of verse 8, where he says, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And so... Paul's telling us if we reject this instruction, we're rejecting God himself. And I want you to see how serious God takes sex, sexual immorality, how serious God takes sex in general. It's something that's important to him, and we're going to look at why it's important to him um, as we go through this message. I'll be honest with you, when I started outlining the message and started praying about what to say and what to talk about and the things I wanted to tell you today, um, the way I felt like God put it in my heart was just to look at it as if, um, what were the things I want my sons to know about sex? What, how would I want them to approach sex as, as they're unmarried? But then also, how would I want them to approach sex once they're married? 
And so I want them to know the truth. I want you to know the truth about sex and about um, how God has wired us and how God has created sex for it to be used by us. And so um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. A couple of years ago, um, during Christmas, I have a mother-in-law who is, is awesome, by the way, but she loves to buy gifts. One of the reasons she's awesome is because she likes to buy gifts. And so she doesn't know I'm talking about this today, so she's probably going to be a little embarrassed. But, um, but she loves to buy gifts, and so she loves to buy gifts. I love to receive gifts. It's a match made in heaven, right? And so um, one Christmas, though, Susan really, really, really wanted um, a bed for Christmas. And so she, she wanted this bed, and, and I didn't know that beds were that expensive, but this bed was really expensive. And so we were like, you know, kind of thinking, we'll get this for Christmas, get some money for Christmas. And so what we ended up doing, what Susan ended up doing, was just putting both of our presents together. And so we, we got a bed, right, for Christmas. And so we got a bed. And, and I realized there's some good things you can do in a bed, right, right, right? Yeah, there's good things, you, like watch TV <laughs> or sleep. I don't know what y'all were thinking I was going to say, but those two things are good. You know, you can do those in a bed. And, and uh, so we got this bed, and it was good. I was like, you know what? I'll sacrifice for Susan because I know she really wants this bed. But then that night we were at their house, and um, the, the presents were being given out, and I've got me a bed, you know, and I'm, you know, thankful for my bed. And, but then they began to pull a box out from behind the, the, other, the other room, behind the wall. And it was like a, I swear, it looked like a 150-inch TV. It was like big screen television. And so I realized then that that was going to my brother-in-law. And so now I'm thinking, I'm going, all right, now I got a bed. He got a big screen TV. What's, what's up with that, right? But I tell you that, it was, it was really funny because, um, because we did get a bed. He got a TV. There was a lot of joking around about that. But um, my mother-in-law loves to give gifts, and she loves to give gifts to her children. And God is a God who loves to give gifts as well. And I want you today, the first thing I want you to know, the first thing I want my, my kids to know is that sex is a gift. God has given us sex as a gift. In fact, I want to read a little bit to you out of the Song of Songs and so that we can see that um, this is really a gift that God's given us. And it's a gift to be enjoyed in, in the context of marriage. And so if you look at Song of Songs, um, chapter 4, if you go to uh, Psalms and then you go to Proverbs and you go to Ecclesiastes, you'll come to Song of Songs. And... Um, it says here in verse 1 of chapter 4, How beautiful you are, my darling. This is basically love poetry, okay, between a, a man and a, a woman, between a husband and a wife. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Now, here's the thing. Guys, don't try that line, right? <laughs> it's in Scripture, and it's there, but I'm telling you, if you try that line, you're going to crash and burn because she has no idea what it means for her hair to look like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. For them, it was a great compliment. For us, not so much. Listen to this one. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. You know what he's basically saying? He's like, you got all your teeth. I love the fact that you got all your teeth. Each one has its twin. Each one's not alone. You've got all your teeth in your mouth, and I love it. It looks awesome. That's basically what he's saying. A few more verses. 
He says, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. And you can see he's kind of starting at her eyes and he's working down, telling her how beautiful she is. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with coarse, courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, and all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. That's just funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And so he is passionate about his wife. He is, he is passionately pursuing her, and he's passionately you know, giving her this poetry. And if you go to verse 16, you hear her response. She basically says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I'm telling you, the Bible is way more interesting than what most of you give it credit for. Because basically, she's saying, bring it on, right? <laughs> he has given her all the love poetry. He's been, he's been talking sweet to her. And now she's like, I'm yours. Come and take me. And so she's, she's saying that she's ready, that, that they're both passionate about each other. And I want you to see out of this, and if you read Song of Songs, it's, it's, it's love poetry about a man and a woman um, sharing their love with each other, about a husband and a wife who share their love together. And so I want you to see a few takeaways from the Song of Songs. I want to hit these pretty quick. But the very first thing is this, that sex is good, right? Amen. I thought I'd get some amens on that one, but especially from the men, but I didn't. Um, and so sex is good. It's a good thing. It's a good gift. The thing we have to remember, though, is even good things used in the wrong way can become sin, can become evil, can become damaging or hurtful. So we have to remember that. And the other thing that I would want you to take away from this little bit of scripture is that God wants us to enjoy it, enjoy sex with our spouse. It's a good gift that he's given us that he wants us to enjoy with our spouse. He wants it to be loving. He wants us to be able to share our love with each other. And in the context of marriage, there's no shame, guilt, or condemnation associated with sex. So many times the church's message to to, to its people and to the world about sex is just don't do it, right? Just stop that. Don't do it. And so we, we kind of come away thinking that sex is somehow dirty, that sex is somehow bad. And the reality of it is that sex is something that's very good. It's just to be kept in the context of marriage. And so I want you to see there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation. If you go all the way back to Genesis, in Genesis 2.25, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. So we can see that when we're in the right context of marriage, sex is a very good thing and it brings no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. You see in this that it's to be passionate. God wants us to be passionate about our spouse. And you see with her that she's able to be just as passionate as he is, as they're pursuing each other. The second thing I want you to get and that I would want my sons to get out of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It says in there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, my bad, wrong marker. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 9. And it says this. 
I'm like stuck in this, stuck somehow here. I can't find my place. There it is, there it is, there it is. All right, let's start over. Let's start over. Let me back up. All right, this time, we're going to look at the second thing that I want you to know about sex today, and that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. That's better, all right? Um, it says in verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so I want you to see the second thing out of those verses is that we can't let sex become a God. We can't let sex become a God. If you look there, um, Paul begins to list out this list of, of things, and he says sexual immorality nor idolaters. If you look at the writings of Paul, typically when he gives this list, these lists that he provides of different sins and things that people are committing, I want you to see in there typically there will be sexual immorality and there will be idolatry. And, and the reason is because it's so easy for sex to become a god to us, for sex to be something that is worship, for sex to be something that comes ahead of God himself, for us to give our minds and our hearts to it and to its pursuit. And so it's so easy for it to become a god to us that we have to be careful in that. And, and so I want you to be able to think about this and realize that sex is a great gift but a terrible god. And so when he makes these lists, he throws it out there that sex shouldn't become an idol or something that we worship ahead of God. We shouldn't put it at such a high place on our list that it rules and dominates our lives, right? And so don't let sex become a God. Keep it in its proper perspective and in its proper context. If you look down then at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The second or third thing I would want them to know, and I want you to know, is this. Don't underestimate the power of sex. Don't underestimate the power of sex. God gave it to us to be used in the marriage covenant because he, he created it for that. And he tells us that when we are married, we become one flesh with um, our spouse, with the person we're marrying. And, and one of the ways that we become one flesh is that when you experience sexual excitement, there are chemicals that are released in your brain that literally come to bond you to that object. It's one reason that pornography is so dangerous because it begins to wire your brain to think a certain way um, in every, every sexual instance. And, and, and even uh, when you see uh, women, guys, or when you see guys, girls, and you begin to think a certain way, your brain begins to be wired that way from these chemicals that are released during um, sexual excitement. And, and so we see that it's really cool, though, in the context of marriage, because what God tells us is that we're to become one flesh with our spouse. And as we share together intimacy with our spouse, it begins to bond us together. And so you see that we become one flesh spiritually as we, when we're married. We become one flesh emotionally, and we even become one flesh 
physically as our bodies are designed to bond with the one that we're sharing that intimacy with. And so you see that it's, it's even biological. So we can't underestimate the power of sex. Um, it's so powerful that it literally joins us together with the object of our sex. I had uh, some friends who were in recovery, and one of my friends in recovery told me, he said that for him, every new drug he tried had a woman attached to it. And what would happen is um, a girl would show up, she'd have a drug. He, he knew that if he, he went with her, what was going to happen, and he knew that that, that drug was going to be involved. And so every drug he went to, it was typically because he was chasing a woman and, and this allure of sex. I had another friend of mine who um, has done some really, really heavy drugs. And, and uh, he told me, though, he said, the most addictive thing for me was the sexual immorality. Out of all the drugs I did, he said, the most addictive thing for me was the sexual immorality of, of um, sex and trying to get more and more and more of it. And, he, and, and you find that it never satisfies. It never fulfills you the way you thought that it would fulfill. The fourth thing comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is Paul responding to some of their questions and statements. But listen to what he says. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The fourth thing I want my sons to realize about sex, and I want you to understand about sex, is that we keep sex in its proper context between a husband and a wife. I want you to see, number one, that that's biblical, that he tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, that, that sex is to be within the confines of marriage, in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife to be shared between them. And so we know that it's biblical. In fact, even in Genesis 2, 24, when, when God is creating Adam and he's creating Eve and it says that they would be united um, as one flesh. United means to make a binding covenant or contract. And so a covenant is an agreement between two people. And so when we are married, we're making an agreement with each other. We're making an agreement with God, this marriage covenant. And, and marriage is to be taken or, or to be um, enjoyed within that covenant, this covenant that God gives us. So the Bible tells us that a covenant is necessary for sex. And here's why. Because it creates a place of physical, emotional, social, and personal security. It creates a safe environment for that to take place. And so God wants to see us keep it in the proper context between a husband and a wife. And, and here's the thing that I understand, guys, and, and I just I don't buy it. So many people in our culture today think that this is archaic think that this is impossible. There's no possible way that somebody can wait that long, wait until they're married to have sex. No way anybody in our culture is going to do that. But this is what I know. I know that we serve a God who is more powerful than our culture. We serve a God who's able to do things in us that, that nothing else can do. And if we cling tight to Jesus, I believe we can live a life that's pure. 
I believe we can live a life. We don't have to go down the, the road that the culture wants to take us down because there's plenty of temptation. There's plenty of opportunity, right? But the Bible says that God gives us a way of escape whenever there is temptation. And so what we can do is keep our eyes on Jesus, drawing close to him, staying in close community with each other, with people who are going the same direction we are, and we can live lives that are pure, whether we're married or unmarried. We can live lives that are pure if we really hold tight to Jesus. And so we keep sex in its proper context. The fifth one. Out of seven, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, it says the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to the husband. Guys, you're going to like this next verse. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. What? In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What's he saying? He's telling us this, that that we're to be um, in this relationship together and we're to approach sex. This is the fifth thing. We're to approach sex as a servant would, as a servant of our spouse is how we're supposed to approach sex. We should consider our spouse's needs ahead of our own. And that should be in everything, but including sex. We should put their needs ahead of our own needs. Selfishness begins in childhood, and it often goes all the way through adulthood. You've heard me say this before. Ten out of ten people are selfish. But that's one of the things that Jesus comes in and works on our heart to do is to to not be selfish, but to be selfless and to put other people's needs ahead of ours. And that's included with sex. See, we should be more concerned with giving sexual pleasure than we are in receiving it. And here's the thing I know, y'all guys, y'all are out there laughing, like, yeah, right. You know, but it's just true. It's just a countercultural way of understanding sex. We've been taught sex through television and internet so much that we don't understand how, how incredible it can be and how awesome it is, but we need to keep it in the confines that God gives us to enjoy it with our spouse, to be more concerned with their needs than with our own needs. And so we need to remember that. We need to practice that. The next one actually is in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. And, And I'll go ahead and give you the point. And this point is this, that as a Christian, I want my sons to know, I want you to know, that as a Christian... You need to be prepared for battle, right? You need to be prepared for battle because it's not going to be easy to maintain purity. It's not going to be easy to to live the way that God wants us to live because the world, as I said, is full of temptation. It's pulling us the opposite direction. Our sinful flesh is pulling us the opposite direction. But what God is telling us is we need to be prepared for a battle because culture is not going to help you win this battle. We need to turn to God's word and trust him in this. And, and we've got to be ready for the battle. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So what he's telling us is, look, you, you need to think of yourselves as foreigners and exiles. What's he mean? He means this life is temporary. And when he says that we, he abstains, it, it's, it's fitting language for strangers or for 
for foreigners or for aliens. And what he means is this. If you are temporarily living in a land, you are just passing through a land, you're not going to adopt the customs and traditions of that land just as you pass through. And what he's telling us in this is don't adopt the customs and the culture that you're living in. You're only here for a short time. Live for God, not for the culture. Do what God leads you to do, not doing what you want to do or what you think is best. And so he tells us to abstain. Literally meaning to distance oneself from fleshly lust. About uh, two or three years ago, I, uh, I went to Poland and uh, spent 10 days in Poland. But see, here's the thing. I didn't come back Polish, right? I didn't come back Polish. I certainly didn't bring the food back with me because it was terrible. The best food we had over there all week long was McDonald's. And it was awesome. It was like a filet mignon hamburger. I'm telling you, it was incredible by the time we got to a McDonald's. We stopped at every McDonald's we saw. I didn't care if it was five miles apart. We stopped because we didn't know when we might eat again, right? And so, I, I, but when I went over there, I didn't adopt the customs. I didn't adopt the culture. I, I didn't come back Polish. That's what, that's what he's saying is you're here for a temporary period of time. Use that time wisely and live your life according to God's ways, not according to the culture's ways around you. Another thing it talks about in here is that Christians must also be warriors, we have to be warriors. In other words, he says in here that we're to wage war against your soul, against our soul. What's he mean? He means against our feelings, against our flesh, against the sinful desires. We literally wage war. It means we're ready to fight. Our spirit is stirred up and we're ready to fight these desires and fight this flesh because we want to live our lives for God. We want to honor him with our bodies and with, our, with everything about us. We went down to, on vacation a couple of weeks ago. And on the last day of vacation, Susan and I took um, our two youngest sons to Universal Studios. And we had a great time. The day was going great. And then Susan said, I, I'm going to run in the restroom. I'll be right back. So she goes into the restroom. She had a backpack with her. She hangs it up on the back of the door. And she, she goes and does what she needs to do. She leaves and then forgets the backpack. Okay? And so the only problem with that was we had $300 in cash in that backpack. And so she thinks about it about 30 minutes later, and she's like, oh, my gosh, I left the backpack. So she takes off running, literally running through Universal Studios. She gets there. The backpack's still there. When she unzips it, everything's still there except for $300, right? And so somebody took that money. And I'm just going to tell you, when she told me that, like there was something in me that wanted to just kill some. I'm just going to be honest. I wanted to kill somebody, right? It, it was so frustrating. And so aggravating to know that somebody did that, right, and that they would do that. And so there was something in me that wanted to rise up and, and, and fight. I wanted to do something to somebody because it was so frustrating and, and angering for me to, 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 to see them do that to us. But I had to really pray. And, and I'm telling you the truth. I had to pray, and, um, and it was one of those things where I just had to say, you know what, I'm going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to forgive the person that did that. I'm just going to let it go, and I'm going to move forward, and we're going to have, still have a great time on this trip. And so that's what we did. But it wasn't easy. And it's not easy in any way to live the Christian life in a culture that's so countercultural to what Christianity is. And he's saying the same type of thing. He's saying, listen, you need to be ready. You need to rise up. You need to get your spirit ready and be prayed up so that you can endure the temptation as you walk through this life. And I want you to remember these things as you battle for purity, as you battle for, for your life to live and look like God's life. 
the life that God wants you to have, I want you to remember a few things. One of those is that God's way is always the best way. Even, listen, God's way is always the best way, even when it doesn't make sense to our culture. You can't live a Christian life that makes sense to the culture around you. It's just not going to. And in sex is one way that that's true. And so remember that God's way is, best, is the best way. And here's the reality, y'all. We all go our own direction from time to time. We have hearts that are prone to wander. The great thing about the Holy Spirit when you're saved is this, that he brings you back. He, he brings you back in line. And so when you look at this, uh, we need to remember that God's way is best. Our Father knows best, what's best for us. When I was about seven years old, uh, my dad went and got me a bicycle. And we didn't have a lot of money, so I think he got it at a garage sale or something and brings it home. And it was worn, but it was, it was awesome to me. So I was out riding my bicycle, and, uh, and I, started to decide, I decided that I would pop some wheelies on my bicycle. And so we're riding, I'm riding down the driveway just back and forth, and I'm just jerking on the handlebars, popping wheelies, and, and just, just going. And my dad sticks his head out the door, and he says, son, don't do that anymore. You're going to get hurt. And I was like, yeah, whatever, Dad. He goes back in. I'm still popping wheelies. I found out pretty quick why he told me that. The reason he told me that is because he wasn't sure how safe that bike was. And I finally popped a wheelie, and the handlebars came up over my head. And so I'm literally riding down the driveway with my handlebars over my head, and I made it. I actually made it a long ways. But then I hit the grass, and there was a crash. I was all skinned up. I was all bruised up. Um, And and, and, uh, the moral of the story is your father knows best, right? I should have listened to my dad. And it's the same thing here. We need to always remember that our father knows best, that he's, he's the one that has all the wisdom and all the answers, our heavenly father. And what he tells us is what's best for us. He doesn't try to squelch a good time. He doesn't try to ruin our lives. He tries to give us life through his son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you see that, it's, 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 it's easier in some ways to be obedient because you know that God's way is the best way. Another thing I would tell you about the battle is don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Sometimes the worst thing we can do is follow our heart. We need to follow the Holy Spirit and, and listen to and follow God's word. Those are the things we need to be following is trusting not what our feelings say, but trusting what the word of God says and what his spirit is leading us to do. Another thing in this battle is don't fall for culture's definition of sex. Don't fall for culture's definition of sex, of pornography, hookups, and shackups. Listen, God's way is the best way. If you'll do it God's way, it pays off in the long run. And so we want to live a life that is honoring to God. Another thing that we need to see is that through temptation, the devil promises us life, but he never gives life through sin. God, sin tells us it's going to give life, but it's actually an assault on the life that God wants us to have. And God wants us to have a great life. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is Satan. Listen, we have a God who came to give us life and give it abundantly. We just follow his, his word and follow the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The last thing in this battle is to stay in strong Christian community. Stay in strong Christian community. You need to be with someone. Um, listen, if you're dating, that's going the same direction you're going, right? Ladies, you need to ask yourself this question. Is he always trying to lead me to the bedroom or is he leading me closer to Jesus? Because that's what's important. You need to be headed the same direction that, 
that, that, that he's going and that both of you are pursuing Christ. Guys, the same thing. You need to have a girl, a woman that is willing to pursue Christ with you, not one that you're constantly having to try to drag to church all the time. Thank you. The last thing that I would want my sons to know and I'd want you to know is this, to remember the power of God's grace, to remember the power of God's grace. God's grace, grace is basically God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's um, unconditional love that he gives to us. Grace is his love that he gives us when we don't deserve it. It's powerful in our lives. And so I don't want you to... Uh, take for granted the power of God's grace. Yes, sex is powerful. Temptation is powerful. But God's grace is, is more powerful. God's grace has power in our lives. The first thing it has is the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. So when we come to Jesus and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we receive God's grace and we receive forgiveness for our sin. And God, it says, separates us as far as the east is from the west from our sin. It's never to be ours again. And the way he can do that is because he put all sin on Jesus when he went to the cross. And he punished sin once and for all with, on, in Jesus so that we would not have to be punished. The Bible says that cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. In other words, crucifixion was seen as a curse. I want you to understand that Jesus became cursed so that you could be blessed. And that's important for us to know and realize in this is that the power of forgiveness is ours because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of what you can do or because of what you have done. The power of forgiveness is ours because of what Jesus has done for us. Taking our sin, taking our punishment, taking our judgment and giving us life in its place. It's the greatest transaction we could ever have. It's the power of forgiveness. Another thing that's powerful about grace is it's the power to overcome. It's the power to overcome. Through God's grace, he gives us the ability to overcome. One of those ways is he gives us his spirit. Through grace, he gives us his spirit. You read 1 John 4, 4. John says this. He says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so you and I have a power inside of us that if we will stir it up through reading his word, through prayer, through worship, that, that there's a power in us that is greater than anything the world can throw at us. The problem is not that we can't overcome sexual sin. The problem is we don't spend enough time with God to really see how powerful he is. And so we've got to really come to this place where we allow his spirit to work in us and we stir up the spirit of God that we receive when we become Christians and put our faith in Jesus. Another way that's powerful is through his word. I want you to hear real quick uh, out of 2 Timothy 3, I want you to hear two verses, 16 and 17. And they say this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is powerful to, to, to reshape us, to make us think differently, to, to renew our minds. And one of the reasons that it is is because it's God-breathed. It's, it's alive because God has given it to us. It's a living word that's powerful. And the thing you can see happen 
through God's word is, number one, he says in here that Scripture is useful for teaching. So what he's saying is, look, it's useful to teach us God's will. It's useful to rewire our minds so that we think according to God's will. It also says in here that God's word rebukes. So it rebukes us when we get out of God's will. When we begin to wander and all of our hearts are prone to wander, God's word will bring us back because it rebukes us. And it tells us you're out of line with God's will. And then it corrects us, which basically means bringing us back into God's will. And so we've, we've been taught, we've been corrected, um, we've been rebuked, and the word of God does this. And the last thing is it trains us. It trains us so we don't get back out of God's will again. And so it rewires our mind, it reshapes our heart, it does great work in us and begins to work through us as we walk these things out. And so we see that the word is another way that we're able to overcome. And through God's grace, he's given us a living word to work in our heart. Another way that we see the power of grace is in prayer. See, prayer basically is acknowledging our limitations and God's inexhaustible power. When we go to God in prayer, we're basically going to him and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need your strength. I need you to work in me in a real way, God. Prayer shows our dependency on God. So you and I can't live the life that God wants us to live on our own. It is absolutely impossible. But the reality of it is you and I can live the life that God wants us to live when we're full of the Spirit and we're connected with God. And he's channeling his Spirit through us and in us. And not, not even just a little bit of his Spirit, but, but overflowing in his Spirit. And then we find the ability to live the life that God's given us to live as we connect with him through prayer. Another way that we need to do this is we need to stay in close Christian community. And I mentioned that earlier, but church is one way that we are able to stay strong. And not just showing up on Sunday morning, but developing community within a small group is important. It's why we put so much emphasis on connect groups, because people need to be in fellowship together. You need to be running the same direction as other people. You need to have people encouraging you to keep taking the next step, to keep taking that next right step that God gives you. And so we, we need to need to realize that we need other people who are pursuing God in our lives to help us continue the pursuit. Another thing that God's grace does for us is it gives us the power to take our thoughts captive. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says that we have weapons. In other words, the word, prayer, the spirit. We have weapons that aren't carnal, aren't fleshly. They're divine and they have the power to pull down strongholds. Strongholds are ways of thinking. So what he's saying is you can take thoughts captive and bring them in light of the truth. If you're full of the truth, then you see something that's not the truth, and you're able to, to, to know the difference. And you're able to take that thought captive and stop that thought before it gets too far. Listen, we're all going to have uh, temptation that pops into our minds. We're going to have um, sin that pops into our minds. The thing about it is we, we might not be able to stop every thought that comes to our mind, but we can be responsible for what we do with that thought. And so we can have our minds rewired where we begin to think a different way and we're able to take thoughts captive. The last one, and I think one of the most important things about God's grace and the power of his grace is that it's the power to recreate. It's the power to recreate. And this is good news for us, especially, listen, maybe you find yourself in a place today that your past, uh, your, your, your sexual past is, is something that, that haunts you. That, that bothers you. And you hear this talk and you're like, well, I've already, you know, I've already been sexually immoral. So does that mean that, 
that there's no hope for me. No, that means that you need God and you need his grace. And the power of his grace in 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that, that we become a new creation. And, and so he works in our lives in that way. And so today I, I don't want you and I, I wouldn't want my sons to miss the power of his grace to recreate, to make us new, to make us pure. The Bible talks about Jesus' blood and how it, it takes away the stain of sin. It takes away the, 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 the sin that we've committed. And we can become pure again through Christ and through the work that he does in, in us and through us so that God doesn't see us the way we were. He sees us the way we are in Jesus and he clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. And so he makes us whole again. He makes us pure again when we come to him in his grace. See, grace is, is there for us when we do mess up. But understand this, grace is not a crutch to mess up, right? It's not something that we just use. We have a grace card, so we just live how we want to. That's not how grace works. When the grace of Jesus comes into your heart, it changes your heart, so you begin to desire things that are different from what you used to desire. He begins to transform you in that way. And so grace is the forgiveness of God, but it's also the power to overcome, as we talked about earlier. We can live the life that God calls us to live, but we've got to be full of God's spirit, full of his word, full of prayer, prayed up and ready to go, in community with each other, taking thoughts captive in obedience to the truth of God. And we've got to realize that God can recreate me into someone that I have not been. And so if you're here today and, and you find yourself in that place, there's good news for you. There's good news for you. You can't go so far away from God that his arm is too short to save you. You, can't, you, can't, you couldn't have had sex so many times with so many different people that it rules you out of God's grace. God's grace, his arm is never too short to save. And wherever you are this morning, he can reach down and pull you out of the mud and the muck and he's able to clean you off. He's able to make you pure. And all you've got to do is say, God, I need you, I want you. I surrender my life to you. If you're not a Christian, it's called getting saved. That's what we call it in the church world. It means like you give your life to Christ, you receive him into your life and he fills you with the spirit of God. He makes you pure and then he gives you the power of God to live out the life that he's calling you to live for his glory for the rest of your days. If that, that's, that's, that's for someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. If you do have a relationship with Christ and you find yourself in a place where, where you say, I, I need that forgiveness too, then it's there. We, we just have to do what's called repentance, which is when we turn from our sin and we turn to God. And he takes away the sin. We need to come to God and confess our sin before God. We need to have people in our life that we can confess our sin to and get real with, confess our struggles to and be real about it. And my encouragement to you today is to let the recreating power of God work in your life. For some of us, it needs to be our mind being renewed to think differently. Because right now, maybe all you could do is objectify women. You just look at them in that way, nothing but a sex object. It's not God's way. And you're better than that. We, we as Christians, as people filled with the Spirit of God, we can live the life He's called us to live. And I, I just wanna throw this out there for you today. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. 
you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we do this at the end of every service. I wanna give you an opportunity today. If you say, I don't know Christ, I don't have a relationship with him, I haven't been cleansed by his forgiveness, haven't experienced his grace, but today, this morning, the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart. And if God's knocking on the door of your heart, then I'm asking you to open the door and say yes to a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here, God's speaking to your heart about a relationship with him, and today you're ready to receive him as your Lord and Savior, then I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand where you are and say, that's me, I need God, I need a relationship with Jesus, amen. Justin, would you, would you pray with him, please? Sir, if you don't mind, Justin is gonna pray with you um, real quick. If you have a couple of minutes, it won't take, take too long. We just wanna help you take next steps. Who else, you're here today and you would say that, that you, you, need, you need a relationship with God right here, amen. We, uh, we like to take people who um, give their life to Christ and pray with them. We like to take them and, and give them some instruction on how to take a next step. And so that's what we're doing. We're not doing anything weird, right? It's just an opportunity to be able to talk to them and pray with them and help them take their next steps of faith. So who else, if you're here today and you say, I need Jesus in my life, I need Jesus in my life. I don't have that, but I need him now. Anybody here? All right. We can celebrate that one more time. That's exciting, guys. That's awesome. We talked about sex and had two salvations. Praise God. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to pray for you. Uh, you know, we talked about sin, but I know there's a lot of other obstacles you guys are facing. For some of you, it may be um, sexual immorality. For some of you, it, it may just be the battle to stay pure. But I know also there's other things going on in here. There, there's other struggles. It may be a struggle in marriage. Listen, I, I don't take this sex talk lightly, this message on sex lightly. I know there are people in here who've been abused sexually. There are people in here who have been raped. People have been abused. And I want you to know this, the power of God's grace is there for you as well, there for healing. And we want to help you walk those, walk through that, walk through that pain and, and come to a place of wholeness. We'd be glad to do that this morning. For some of you, maybe it's just a struggle that, that, that is with a spouse or maybe it's a struggle with children. I don't know what your struggle is, but God does. And today, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you need prayer in any way or anything, I want to pray for you before we go. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you're here and you say, today, I need prayer. I want you to take a step of faith and stand to your feet and say, God, I, want, I need you to touch my life today. I need you to come into my life. If God is knocking on the door of your heart to change you, to work in you, to give you um, his power, then today I'm asking you to take a step of faith and stand to your feet and say, God, I need you. I need you. Let's, let's, let's act on God's word. Let's don't walk out of here having wasted an opportunity for God to touch our lives. Okay? So I'm gonna pray, and if you need to take a step of faith with God, you take that step of faith. God, I thank you for um, your love and grace. And God, it seems silly sometimes for us to, 
to stand or respond to your word, but it does something in our hearts when we respond to your word and take a step of faith. It's like it cements it in our hearts, God. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the power of your spirit that's in this room right now power of your spirit who's moving in and through this place. And God, I pray that, that for those who, who are asking, those who are seeking, those who are knocking, God, I pray that the door will be open. I pray that your spirit would flood in. I pray that your spirit would begin to give hope and begin to give life in this place. God, whatever we're facing, the circumstances we're facing, would you give us the strength to face those circumstances? God, would you change those circumstances? And God, if you don't change the circumstances, change us in the circumstances, God. But God, work in a powerful way. Give us wisdom, give us direction, give us the power of your spirit to live in. God, we want to live a life that's honoring to you. God, renew our minds, give us new hearts, give us new desires, and let us Let's run this race in a way that brings you glory. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for these people. I love them, God, and I pray that you will bless them with your power, with your presence, and with your purpose in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Hope you have an awesome week. If you need prayer for anything, you can come to the front, and someone will be glad to pray with you. But otherwise, have an awesome week.